I need them, bro. The real estate steady is. This is Darrell Lalia, and you are listening to episode 99 of the Before the Man's podcast. How you can afford anything, literally anything. So from freelancer to millionaire within a few short years. Welcome back to the Before the Man's podcast. My name is Dore Olalia. I'm a former financial professional turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Every week, entrepreneurs and millionaires have strategic conversations on this show to help you design and build your lifestyle business through real estate. For the BTM tribe, this is kind of a special place. As such, new listeners tend to binge content. So you've been warned. Let's get started. episode 99 and to give you guys a quick secret this is actually episode 100 if you go back in the vault you will uh, see episode 00 which is like an introductory episode so in actuality this is episode 100 but for tradition's sake when we actually get to episode 100 and the numbering uh, it's gonna be an amazing episode which is next week guys so next week's episode is episode 100 tune into next week's episode it's gonna be fire Anyways, I've been on a long stint of travel, and to say that I have jet lag is being quite modest. One thing that I've been able to maintain through my frequent travel schedule is, no, not going to the gym. That's been at an all-time low, but actually like the books that I'm reading. And I know in the beginning of the year, I had this goal to limit the amount of books I read this year, but yeah. I think I've read maybe 10 or 11 books so far this year, um, half of which are books that I've already read in 2016, 17 or 18, but half are brand new of the ones that are brand new. I mean, there are three that I know. Yeah, there are three that I know for sure will be at the top of my top 10 book list at the end of the year. Those three, two of them, you already know. The third one is going to come out of left field, but just wait for it. The first two are The 12 Week Year and The Surrender Experiment. I've talked about those books on multiple episodes. So you know about those books if you or you've already read those books and you know they're amazing. The third book I just got done reading is a long book and it's actually not for everybody. It's written by a rabbi and uh, his name is uh, Daniel Lappin. The book is called Thou Shall Prosper. And it's like the Ten Commandments of like wealth, integrity, business, all that good stuff. It's amazing. And I'm actually going to go back and reread the book because that's how good it is. In fact, there's a chapter in the book that just kind of changes my perspective on fictional books. I guess I haven't read a fictional book since a kid. Even when I like picked up reading like full time now, like I still don't read fictional books. I just I feel like there's almost no value there. But after reading this book, my mindset towards fictional books is a little bit different and I want to explore fictional books and kind of see if I'm if there's something I'm missing. This book talks about the fact that there's a lot of hidden gems in fictional books and the way that the position things and the way that they help you explore your own uh, creativity and imagination. So uh, one of the books that it recommends is a book called Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell. So that's actually the next book on my book list. And it's a first it's my it's the very first fictional book that I'm reading. So I can't wait. It's going to be exciting stuff. Anyways, enough about me. How are you guys? doing today? How are you? I mean, what's been going on in your world? Let's get you to your goal. At the top of that list for me is to invite you to my webinar. I think that uh, you should know that this is my first live webinar. So um, even if you're just coming by to say hi, to support, just come by and be attentive and see if you can glean one, two, or maybe even three nuggets. This is actually a a webinar that I've been working on for over a year, actually perfecting, reinventing, revamping and delivering, but I've never actually delivered it live in a webinar format. And I've never actually promoted it to my entire audience. But as I kind of look through 
the experiences of not only myself. I mean, I could talk so much about myself. And again, it's not about me at this point. We're talking about you guys, right? And there's so many of you guys who have became clients. And I look at their experiences and what they've been able to do in such a short period of time. And even just like, even the guests that come on the podcast, like I'm approaching 100 guests. I've, pro- I've actually already interviewed over 100 millionaires already because the number of episodes released not correlate to the number of interviews already I've already done. Some interviews I've already done don't even see the light of day because either I don't think the person's content is up to par or the whole interview, they were just trying to pitch you guys their product. So some of these interviews, they never see the light of day. And there are quite a few of those. There are about 10 or 15 episodes already in the pipeline ready to be released to you guys. So I've for sure already interviewed at least 100 millionaires. My mentors are amazing people who've done amazing work in this world and I learn and gleam so much from them. So all of my experiences, all of my mentors' experiences, all of the experiences of the people I bring onto my show, all of my clients' experiences, all of you guys' experiences, some of you guys that I talk to, And we maintain a relationship on social media and we just kind of check in with each other. I mean, all of those experiences, I've corralled into this one 45 minute webinar and I'm showing you the step by step system that I know that is going to achieve, that is going to get you to your success sooner rather than later. My exact business model, what the business model that I've been shaping for the past two years, for the past two and a half years the business model that I am now teaching to every single client, the best parts of the business model that that I've, that I've gleaned from not only my mentors, but all the guests that come on the show and all of my mentors, mentors, and and all of the books that I read and all of the podcast episodes, all of the conferences that I go to and the the high level masterminds that I'm a part of and the, the workshops that cost me 10, 15, 20 grand, all of that. I just left an ET conference that cost literally about $5,000 per person. I mean, all of that knowledge, I'm condensing into 45 minutes and I'm presenting that to you live Tuesday, this Tuesday, the day that this episode drops, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar. So Tuesday, March 19th, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. The very next time I'll be hosting a webinar is going to be in April, April 2nd which is the first Tuesday in April. So if you miss this webinar, if you're listening to this episode after the day that this episode drops, then you're just in time for the April webinar. So head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar and register for this webinar today. Again, I'm going to go over five key shifts that have been proven time and time again, not only in my life, in my client's life, in the life of others that I've interviewed on this podcast and the life of my mentors. Like My one unique ability is to identify strategy and to be able to implement that strategy and then teach others how to implement that strategy. I've interviewed at least 100 millionaires, most of which have built their wealth through real estate. I have some of the baddest mentors in the game and I have some of the most hard fought clients in the game. And so not to brag or boast on my accomplishments, but the people I've surrounded myself with, I've learned from them. Even the people that I teach and train on a daily basis, I learn from them. And I've cultivated my whole entire system into a one hour or a 45 minute webinar. And I'm giving that away to you guys for free tonight. Or if you listen to this after today, the official day that this episode drops, then Tuesday, April 2nd. And again, if you're listening to this far in the future, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar. And hopefully I'll be doing a webinar real soon. And hopefully 
you wouldn't have missed out on this particular topic because my future webinars are not going to be this exact topic. I'm probably going to do this once, maybe twice, max three times. But after that, it's going to be a whole new topic. So you don't want to miss out on this webinar. You will not find this particular webinar content anywhere else once I've moved on to new content. So head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar. I cannot wait to give you the gold and help you build a business that allows you to travel and serves your ideal lifestyle design through real estate. On today's episode, I'm really excited for the entrepreneur that we've brought on the show. Her name is Mrs. Paula Pant, and Paula is a freelance writer. Paula started out in 2005, and she started out with a base salary of $21,000 a year. And with that salary, she was able to save eventually. It took her a while, but she was able to save, I think, 25 grand. And she's going to explain that to us here when she explains her story. So she had a knack for savings and a knack for living frugal. I mean, her model was that, hey, if you don't think you have enough money, if you don't think that you can start investing, if you don't think, if you have all these limits on what it is that's possible for you, her model was that, look, there's no limit to the amount of roommates you could have. <laughs> so if you're like, man, I don't have the money to start investing. I mean, that's a limiting belief. That's not actually what's true. And she left us with a saying saying that the more roommates you have, the cheaper rent gets. I mean, she practices until her rent was $200 a month. And at that point, of course, you guys realize she can save super heavy. So even at making $21,000 a year, she was able to save over half of her income by living frugally. And then what she did with that 25K, she booked the one-way ticket to Egypt and she didn't come back for 27 months. She backpacked through Asia, through Australia. She was everywhere. And she was living off of less than 1K a month. Less than 1K a month, guys. It's called geo-arbitrage. It's called being a digital nomad. It's called really living. And when she came back, she was just like, man, like, Back to this job, back to the grind. Oh, by the way, while she was out there, she started freelance writing. So she was still making some money on the side, but it wasn't anything big. So when she came back, she realized that she didn't really want to be back, that she had the time of her life with her experiences. And that's what she realized that life was really about. So then she goes from freelance as a hobby in 2006 to a full-time writer in 2010. And she's writing for some really big names at this point. 18 months later, Paula grew her business to six figures. She said goodbye to her job and she started investing in real estate. Today, Paula is a millionaire in every sense of the word, and you guys are going to be captivated by her story. I cannot wait to get into it. Let's go ahead and get to the tip of the week so that we can get into the meat and potatoes of today's show. DeRay's tip of the week. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So for the tip of the week. So here's how I see it. This year, we added our library to Spotify and Google Play. I am still working on SoundCloud, but Spotify has brought so many new listeners and I'm loving it. I'm looking at iTunes right now. and We have 142 ratings and reviews. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. Look, in 2019, we haven't really talked about ratings and reviews. Guys, look, ratings and reviews are the best way to publicize that you know, like, and trust this podcast, that you love this podcast, that there is a reason why you're tuning in. So first, if you haven't already, if this is your first time tuning in, if you've just discovered us, if you've listened, this is like your third or fourth episode and you're starting to binge Wherever you are in the process, if you haven't yet already, go subscribe to this podcast. Leave a rating and review once you subscribe and send this podcast to a friend that you think it may help. There are plenty of people in your life right now that this podcast could do a whole lot of good for. 
just forward them a link. They will thank you for it. They're going to be like, wow, really? You're, I'm at the top of your mind right now. I would have never guessed. I'm going to check this out. And then they're going to check it out. They're going to thank you for the knowledge bomb that you just dropped into their lap because they're going to be hooked as well. That is the best way you can get our content out there. So head over to your podcast player, your, your iTunes directory, however it is that you're listening to this podcast. If you're a brand new Spotify listener, then I'm loving you guys a whole lot right now because we just got added to this uh, Spotify library. So I'm watching those numbers go up every single day. So if you listen to this podcast and you didn't know we were in Spotify, we are officially in Spotify. We are officially in Google Play. Check us out on those platforms. Leave us a rating and review. Stitcher is still one of our top producing platforms, uh, but there's Pocket Cast, there's Riot Cast. There's a whole lot of other platforms out there that you guys are using. I love them all. I personally use iTunes right now and I may switch in a bit, but iTunes hasn't done anything wrong to me yet. So leave a rating and review. Let's get our numbers up. Let's let the world know that, hey, we're delivering some value and some really good content that people should check out. Uh, that's the tip of the week, guys. Now let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Hey, Paula, how's it going? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. And I can't wait to kind of get into your story to learn a little bit more about you and your business and how you've kind of constructed the life that you live now. But what I like to do in the beginning of most of these shows, Paula, is I like to take it back. I like to kind of go in the time machine and learn about your upbringing and what kind of has cultivated your path, where you are today, what you're doing now. Like, So let's maybe take it back to any time period that you like and just kind of talk about the inception of maybe that entrepreneurial bug or maybe that discontentment wherever you were and what you were looking for and what you ended up finding. Sure. When I was in college, I really wanted to study abroad. I was just so curious to go explore the rest of the world. But the study abroad programs at my university were very expensive. They were between fifteen dollars to $20,000 for just one semester. And there was no way that I could pay that. So I thought about it and I realized I didn't actually want to study. I just wanted to go abroad. And so I thought to myself, all right, if I graduate, work for a few years, save up some money, and then quit my job and go travel the world, that would be a way that I could go see the world without having to pay for this expensive study abroad program. And so as a college student, I formulated this idea of what I didn't know the term at the time, but in hindsight, it was referred to as lifestyle design, where I was thinking first about what type of life I wanted to lead, what my goals and aspirations were, and then working backwards from that, created a plan as to how I would do it. So I graduated from college in 2005, and I took a job with a starting salary of $21,000 per year. Now, that was in 2005, right? So a lot of times when people give those rock-bottom low numbers, they're, they're older people and they're talking in 1980s dollars, but I'm talking relatively recently. I was making $21,000 a year. Uh, that was my starting salary. And in 2008, Eight, at the time that I quit that job, my ending salary was $31,000 a year. So that was the highest amount that I ever earned. I didn't know this at the time, but that was would be my only time working for an employer. So that was the highest amount of money that I've ever earned working for somebody else. Now, during those three years when I was making between 30, 21 to 31000 I was also freelancing during the evenings and weekends. And I saved every single penny of this freelance money and put it into a travel fund. And so at the end of those three years, I'd saved up $25,000, which is basically one year salary. 
And so in 2008, with a grand total of $25,000 in savings, I quit my job, bought a one-way plane ticket to Cairo, Egypt. And for the next 27 months, a little over two years, I backpacked around the world. And I, I went to Egypt, uh, went to a, a lot, of, spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. Uh, I stuck mostly to countries where the dollar exchange rate really worked in my favor. Places like Laos and Cambodia, uh, Myanmar, where the U.S. dollar stretches a lot further. And I kept my cost of living to $1,000 a month during that time. And I did that for 27 months. And then I came back to the U.S., and this is in 2010, and I realized I didn't want to go back into the workforce. The idea of waking up to a blaring alarm clock and fighting bumper-to-bumper traffic just to go into a windowless office and sit at a cubicle and make $30,000 a year, like none of that sounded appealing to me. And have two weeks of vacation a year, maybe three if I'm lucky, right? Like that just sounded terrible. And so because I had been freelancing while I was at my day job, I thought to myself, why don't I take that freelancing and ramp it up into a full-time income? And so even though technically I started freelancing in 2005, 2006, it was in 2010 that I actually got serious about it and devoted myself to to doing this full-time and really making a go of it. And it took about 18 months from the time that I got serious about it until the time that it became a six-figure income. And then what I did was I because I was used to living so cheaply, because I was used to living at the $20,000 a year level, you know, living, I was living with uh, five, there were five roommates crammed into a three bedroom apartment, uh, just randos from Craigslist, you know, I was driving a $1,500 car. Yeah, I was l- used to living very, very cheaply. And so even when I was making six figures, I continued living like a college student. I continued that same bare bones level of living, saved a huge amount of money, and then started plowing all of this money into rental properties. And then over the course of between 2010 to 2015, I ended up buying a total of eight units. That's one triplex, four single family homes, plus a personal residence for myself. And so uh, I then basically put myself in a position where I was self-employed, earning a six-figure income, and I had eight rental properties, well, seven rental properties plus a home. That is awesome, Paula. That is that is simply amazing. And there's so much to kind of peel back in your story. And I'm going to try to dissect each little layer as, as as it comes up. But I think about your path and I'm just like, man, you, you went so unconventional. I I went unconventional as well. And, you know, maybe even in the circles that you're around, what you, what you, the way that you went is maybe not so unconventional. I mean, we think about all the digital nomads out there. We think about the lifestyle entrepreneurs out there and their stories, a lot of their stories, when you're in those circles, you realize a lot of their stories are those, Hey, I only have a thousand bucks left. I'm moving to Thailand or, you know, I only have a thousand bucks left. Like this is, you know, I'm making this extreme change from San Francisco to, you know, whatever. And those people to me are very, although there's a large community of those people, but those people to me are very rare. What you mostly see are people who are stuck at that dead end job and they're fighting tooth and nail to start saving to save enough to perhaps have a plan that's going to have them leave their day job once they once their side income and once their business picks up enough or has surpassed what it is that they're making at work. So that's the plan that I see most people go to. And with that plan, nothing's wrong with that plan whatsoever. But with that plan, I see more failures than not, as opposed to the path that you took. Why do you think that is? 
I think a lot of people aren't willing to give up some of the indulgences of their lifestyle. And so, you know, and yes, first of all, I don't mean to minimize like, yes, health insurance is expensive. Student loans are a burden. Absolutely. I'm not minimizing any of that. But oftentimes, you know, people will say, well, rent is really expensive. Okay. How many humans have you crammed into a tiny apartment? Keep adding more people because the more roommates you have, the cheaper rent gets. And, the, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And, you know, I know people, people with children who live with roommates, not out of choice, but out of necessity. A good friend of mine is a single mom. She's 42 years old. She's a single mom. And she and her ex-husband split the custody of their nine-year-old child, but she doesn't have much money. So she lives with three roommates and, uh, well, sorry, there's three people in total. So she lives with two other roommates plus her and her nine-year-old sleeps in the same bedroom with her during that 50% of the time that she has custody of him. So the reason that I'm sharing that story is that there are a lot of people who out of necessity live in way you know, have roommates, drive really cheap cars or don't have cars at all and ride their bike or take the bus. You know, there are a lot of people who out of necessity do that. And so um, a lot of people who have dead end jobs that they're, they've got these corporate jobs that they are feel stuck in. Oftentimes they're, they're not saving enough because they have this limiting belief that they can't live with roommates or they can't give up their car or they can't stop eating at restaurants or they can't cut their own hair instead of going to a salon, right? Like, and when you cut back on those expenses, that's when you increase the gap between what you earn and what you spend. And by increasing that gap between income and spending, you create freedom. You create this pile of money that gives you choices and options. And whenever you tell yourself that you can't, my recommendation to people would be to ask yourself, wait a minute, is it true that I can't or is it that I at the moment am choosing not to? And the litmus test for that is, are there people who are doing the thing that I'm telling myself that I can't do out of necessity? Because if there are, then that means it can be done. Yeah. And you've said that perfectly. And I think in a in combination with limiting beliefs, I think that people just aren't, I mean, you think about push and pull triggers for people and people just aren't in a place of pain, I think personally enough to want to do something. I mean, of course, every single person in the world probably wants financial freedom, probably wants to be able to travel the world. But why is it that less than 1% of the people actually do it? And I think about, you know, limiting beliefs. And I think about the fact that a lot of people, they just aren't willing to make those sacrifices. Like, I, I mean, I could cut my hair, but I don't want to do that. I could drive a car, but what would everybody think? Or I could do this. And it's just like all of these sacrifices that, that are really superficial. And you were able to kind of come into your own by living with these sacrifices generally. And you talk about freelancing back in 2004 and 2005. What was your niche back then? What were you doing? What were you focused on? Well, back in 2005, I didn't have a niche. And in hindsight, that was a mistake because the single most important thing that I did in order to grow my freelance career, and I didn't start this until 2010, uh, was that I niched down and I found a particular topic. Back in 2005, I was afraid of niching down because I thought that if I did so, I might be limiting my opportunities. And so 
I was a freelance writer and I positioned myself as, I'll write about anything. I'll write about everything. And when you say that you write about everything, you write about nothing. Right? You don't have a specialty, so you don't get hired. In 2010, when I actually got serious about freelancing, at that point, the single best move that I made was to decide that I was going to specialize in a particular topic. And for me, that topic was personal finance uh, because money is always something that's interested me ever since I was a kid. Yeah. So speaking to personal finance and that whole sector, what book or books have you recommended or maybe given most as a gift and why? Oh, there's so many. So the book, The Millionaire Next Door is absolutely fantastic. I read it in high school and it, and I remember when I first read it. So the premise of the book is that the average millionaire, you would never guess from the way that they live that they're a millionaire. Uh, mm. They live in um, unremarkable homes. They drive used cars. They wear cheap clothing. They drink Bud Light, like you would just never guess. And I remember when I first read that book back in high school, my thought was, well, then what's the point of becoming a millionaire? And yeah. of, of course, fast forward to today, and now I'm a millionaire, and, it, and I live, and nobody, and most people looking at my life would not be able to guess that. Uh, and, and what it does, like the point of it, is that I have all of this freedom now. I have options. I have choices. So there's a different way that I want to direct my business. I can do that. And if that new direction means taking a risk or it means that my income's going to drop for three months, fine. That's cool. 2005, 2006, 2007, not until 2010, did you decide to take your craft seriously? Did you decide to double down? Did you decide to niche down? And you kind of had this, this, this feeling that if, if you did so, I mean, we know what you felt before, like if you niche down, well, then it, it, it would be one of those things where you feel like you're, you're losing so many people. And I see so many entrepreneurs have that worry. And I know that that's a failing proposition, like trying to cater to everybody, trying to reach everybody. But what's, what's funny is when you niche down, the people that you, that you would actually think that they're not your target demographic, they're not the people in your niche, those people are still drawn to your content. They're actually even more drawn to the things that you have to offer. So when you finally niched down and you finally started seeing that this is a viable business, kind of walk me through your progression from 2010 on, like what were next steps? What were you thinking? And how did you stumble upon real estate to start buying rental properties? So in terms of, there's, there's two separate questions in there because the first piece of your question about niching down relates specifically to my online business. And the second piece of your question about real estate relates to the investments that I made with the income that I earned. So I want to make sure to distinguish between the two because one is my business, my active business, and the other is the way that I invested the proceeds from, those bus from that business. I want, let's focus on the active business. Okay. So with regard to the active business, like I said, the most important thing that I did was I niched down and I was a freelance writer. Somebody gave me the advice to write about what I love to read the most. And as I mentioned, ever since I was a kid, I've always loved reading about personal finance. So that seemed like a, a natural place to focus on my writing. Uh, in order to get started, really, I started by writing guest posts for a couple of blogs and then I used those guest posts to submit applications to more established entities. So my first major client was about.com, which 
was owned by the New York Times. It was a website that was owned by the New York Times. It later got rebranded to thebalance.com. But at the time that I started there, it was about.com. And they hired me as their budgeting and personal finance expert. And then they put me on a contract to write eight articles per month about personal finance, uh, specifically with a focus on budgeting. So I would write all of these articles about how to create a budget, different ways to create a budget, what your budget should look like, you know, all of the these eight articles a month. So you can imagine that's a lot of output in terms of thinking and writing about how to budget well. And then once I had about.com under my belt, from that point on, the additional work came easily. So from that point on, I started writing for AOL Daily Finance and you know, just plenty of other, there's so many websites out there that cover personal finance. Uh, and so, you know, once you have one or two of those major names behind you, then it becomes easier to get the next gig and the next gig and the next gig. And the other thing is that the world of personal finance writer, and, and this is not just true to personal finance, it's really true to any niche that anyone who's listening to this interview might want to focus on. Once you get inside of a niche, that niche is a small community. A lot of the people who are in there uh, know one another, either personally or they know of one another. They know each other's reputations and they know each other's work. So once you get inside of a niche, that niche is like a small community. It's a small village. And once you get inside of that, then you, you know people and, and they know you. Like oftentimes it, it very much helps when you go to approach a new editor or a new publication and they've already heard of you like that there's a lot of power in that when it comes to picking up more gigs and i think about you have people out there that are, that are listening to this and there's they're just like well paula maybe you got lucky like i'm trying to get my foot in the door i just need my first client or i just need my first deal or i just need that that first one and once i can get that first one similar to what you did with about.com that's when things will take off for me and i'm just never i'm just ne i'm not lucky i don't i'm not in the right place at the right time what do you have to say to people who are on this journey and they're they're trying to find their breakthrough whatever it is for them and i i'm sure that you had no idea that your breakthrough was going to be with this with this company with about.com like i'm sure that you were you you had submitted multiple multiple applications. You had done tons of things before that, that quite frankly, weren't prosperous. So, so what do you have to say to those people who are at that point? And they're just like, should I give up? Should I turn around? What should I focus on? How do I become, uh, I guess, how do I, how do I show up in the right place at the right time? Is it just being consistent? What, do, what what's your response to that? I mean, to a certain extent, it's a numbers game. If you keep applying to, uh, if you keep sending pitches or if you keep trying to get the gig, like, sure, if you try at 10 different clients and you don't get any of them, you haven't really approached that many, right? But if you try 200, one of them's going to come through. Think of it kind of like dating, right? You might date, like, you don't expect to marry the very first person you date. Some people do, like some people get very lucky, but some people, you you know, there are a lot of duds out there that you just have to <laughs> eliminate before you find the right one. And sometimes that takes a long time, right? right? Like sometimes, sometimes that happens quickly for some people and sometimes it takes a decade or more, but you don't give up. For sure. So Paula, what was, I guess, what was your, what was your mindset at the time? Like, I know that this is not the plan that you had, like who you are today is not, I mean, you probably weren't, you probably didn't even think this was possible in 2010. So what was your mindset at the time? What was your ceiling? What, what, were, what were your goals? What did you think was, was possible for you? And what were you gearing, gearing towards? 
Uh, back in 2010, goodness, I was not thinking very big. And that's also been one of my big mistakes is I have this habit of thinking small that I have to keep trying to, I have to keep reminding myself not to do. Uh, so back in 2010, my goal was simply to make enough money to be able to support myself without stress, right? And, and remember, I didn't need very much. I was living with a bunch of roommates. I was driving a $1,500 car. And that was, by the way, that was not my cheapest car. My cheapest car that I ever drove was $400. <laughs> I love so it. I love my $1,500 car was three times more expensive. That's, Almost that's four times more expensive. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, so you had this this limiting mindset. You mm-hmm. you were you were writing articles on budgeting. You were living a frugal lifestyle, and you had this limited mindset on what was possible for you. When did some of that change? Because I'm I'm curious as to the next Fourier into real estate. When did that? When did some of that begin to change for you? Was I it, mean. Was, I don't, th- I don't think it has changed. I think that I still suffer from the issue of thinking too small. That's something that I have to work on every single day. You know, when you, when you grow, when you progress, when your business gets bigger, when your investments grow bigger, you still have the same, in many ways, the same mindset that you always did just with an additional zero at the end. And you, you know, can still suffer from the same insecurity anxieties that you always did with an additional zero on the end. Asset classes and and vehicles such as insurance and different commodities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, um, gold, silver, I mean, everything out there, you name it, including real estate. Why did you choose to, to, why did you choose real estate? What, What was that story? So the very first property that I bought, my goal was not to become an investor with that first property. My goal was simply to get my own housing costs down to zero. Uh, So I was living in, there were, as I mentioned, there were five of us living in a three bedroom apartment. And this apartment unit was inside of a triplex. A triplex is a building with three units in it. So it's kind of like a duplex, but with three units instead of two. So there were five of us living in a three bedroom unit, apartment unit. And that apartment unit itself was inside of a three unit building. And my share, the total rent for our apartment was $1,200 divided by five people. So my share of the rent was about 200, a little over 200. Actually, no, mine was 200 because somebody else was paying a little bit more. So yeah, mine was 200. And, and my, my initial goal with that very first property purchase was simply to get my own housing costs down to zero. And so I noticed that the triplex across the street was for sale. And so uh, I bought it, moved my roommates into one of the units with me, and then rented out the other two units. And by doing so, I got my $200 a month rent payment down to nothing. And that was, that was as big as I was thinking at the time. I didn't anticipate that this was going to go on and to become a, you know, a big thing. All I was trying to do was eliminate the cost of rent. That is beautiful. And it sounds like that's the point. And when you, maybe when you got that first rent check, that's the point in which you caught the bug because you were just like, wait a minute, I just got paid and I didn't have to really do a whole lot for it. And now I'm living for free. I mean, not only are you eliminating like your rent expense, but you're living for free. And not only are you living for free, but you're getting paid to live for free. 
that is simply spectacular. And um, it's one of the ways that I, I always stress on this show that it's one of the be- best ways to get started in real estate. Any age and any marital status, including with children. I have a cousin, so I'm an immigrant. I was born in Kathmandu, Nepal, and came to the U.S. as a, as a baby. And I have a cousin who recently moved to the United States. She has a husband and a son. And she like she did something similar. You know, she brought in roommates in order to get her own cost of living with a husband and a son. Uh, and then she recently had a baby. So now she's got two children. But, you know, she's a, a brand new immigrant. Of course, she's going to do this. Right. So and she is she's also in her 40s. She's not the person I was talking about earlier, different person. But yeah, she's also in her 40s. Yeah, so this is something that you can do at any age and you can do it with a family, right? Don't don't limit yourself to the idea that you need to be single or that you need to be young or that like this is something that only college students or recent college grads do. Yeah, I love that so much. And Paula, I appreciate you for busting my limiting belief because I mean, I have spoken with so many people that I've wanted to help get started on that path. And that's always been their excuse. So I've like now ingrained in my head that I should only really be telling young single people this. So I'm glad you busted my limiting belief. And hopefully a lot of the listeners out there who are not young or single, um, but in any situation, any circumstance, anybody can actually really do this. So I love that you pointed that out. Now, what was next for you? So you caught the bug, maybe possibly what was next time to talk about the next Fourier. And I want to play this question a little bit into your lifestyle design because you're not a real estate investor full fledged, I guess yet in your eyes, but you are a real estate entrepreneur. You're, you're writing, um, you're writing uh, these posts for these companies and you have that business going, but you also are looking to maybe start buying rental property. So talk about the dichotomy between that and what was the next kind of step that you took in your real estate investing journey? Well, so as I as I continued to grow my business, my my active business, which was freelance writing, that just it kept growing, and from freelance writing, it escalated into me offering full scale content marketing services to companies. So, in in addition to just being after I spent some time being a writer for various companies, then they would come to me and say, hey, you know what? We actually need somebody who can manage our whole editorial calendar, who can sit down and plan out what all of the articles are going to be for the next quarter and then assign those articles to other freelancers and then pair that with social media posts. Like we need somebody to just manage this piece of what we do because we're a company and we do lots of other things, you know, so can you just manage all of this? And so, of course, I said yes. And then so from freelance writing, my primary business grew into full-scale content management and marketing services. And as a result, my income grew as well. And so I was making this awesome six-figure income. And remember, I'm somebody who had a starting salary of 21000 So I was very much on fire for like, wow, look at how much more you can make, for, at least in my story, me personally, how much more I could make working for myself than I could if I had stayed at that job. Yeah. And then because I was making so much, I, I started a blog called affordanything.com and then later a podcast also called Afford Anything where I talked a lot about entrepreneurship and earning more and really the philosophy of uh, both the philosophy and the practice of money and investing and entrepreneurship. And that itself began to grow. So it took a long time. I started affordanything.com in 2011, and then I started the Afford Anything podcast in 2016, and it took 
a long time to grow an audience. That absolutely does not happen overnight. But the podcast has recently hit 5 million, or it's about to hit 5 million downloads. We're at 4.7 million right now. And the blog has more than 50,000 email subscribers. And so just by virtue of writing and writing really high quality blog posts and putting out really high quality podcast episodes, those grew as well. And eventually those grew to the point where I was juggling these two different businesses. I was juggling on one hand, afford anything, the website and the podcast. And that was what I loved. And it was uh, like I was building this community and, and it was fantastic, but I couldn't do that. And also have a full-scale content marketing, content management and marketing company, I couldn't do them both simultaneously. That was just too much. And so one of the two had to go. And so it was a very, very, very hard decision. But in 2016, I took this six-figure business that I had built with a content management and marketing company and just, boom, killed it. And that was so hard to do. Like to to spend so many years building a six-figure business and then intentionally pull the plug on it so that I could focus on afford anything. Um, that was, I mean, you talk about an insecurity trigger. Talk about it like a, a test to your confidence and a test to your belief in yourself and the belief in your vision. That was, that was a test, but I did it because I knew that it was the right thing to do. And then sure enough, that's, that's proven to be an excellent decision. So. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And what would you say attributed to your success growing and building not only your subscribers, I think you said 40 or 50,000, but also your podcast. Like what would you say is the single biggest thing that helps you grow and, and become successful at your own .com business? Well, I'm obsessive about quality. So with a podcast, for example, every one hour episode uh, takes me about 10 hours on the back end in terms of, of pre-production and post-production. So when you put that, there's a direct correlation between effort and reward. And when you put that much effort into what you do, it shows. And in a noisy and crowded field that has low barriers to entry, like blogging or podcasting, the way to stand out is by being authentic and high quality. You know, my most recent blog post was 4,500 words, and it's not 4,500 words of fluff. It was 4,500 very well-crafted, well-thought-out words. So I don't publish often, but when I do, I put a lot of effort into what I write because I want this to be worth landing in somebody's inbox And with regard to the blog. And with the podcast, I publish every Monday, you know, some once-a-week show, and that that's 10 hours at least of every single week that goes into that once a week show. So a lot of people, it may sound crazy, but I, I definitely can relate to that. So kudos to you. Now to round out this before we get to our last and final segment, um, when I think about your area of expertise, I think about budgeting, I think about finances, and I think about investing. What bad recommendations have you heard 
in the past maybe two, three years that you just want to kind of debunk really quick for our listeners, something that you're just like, this is not right, or I hate when, the, when somebody says this, or there's a, there's a different twist on this that I want to, I want to kind of give your audience. What, is there something out there that you'd be, is a, that you feel is a bad recommendation that you want to clear up? Oh, geez, there are so many. So there's no way that I can give this as a quick 15 second response, but very, very, I mean, as running through this as fast as I possibly can, uh, the notion that you need to have a lot of expert knowledge in order to invest, uh, particularly in the stock market or in index funds, boom, debunk. The idea that if the rent covers the mortgage, you're set, boom, debunk. Uh, the idea that if you do some of the work yourself, that means that you can put that line item a zero, boom, debunk. Just the very notion that if you can you buy a rental property without first calculating the cap rate or the, the internal rate of return or the net present value, if you're not running those calculations on a property, then that's not an investment. So boom, debunk. Yeah, all of them. I mean, people approach investments in such misguided ways and as a result, they get burned and then they write off the whole thing when the problem isn't the investment itself, the problem is their approach. So they confuse the subpar result that they got. Like they attribute that as a problem of the commodity when in fact it's a problem of their strategy. Yeah. And it always is no matter what. And that's, I love that so much. And especially for the entrepreneurs out there, no matter what you're facing, what you're doing, what's going on, your business, your investing career, everything that you, you, you have your, your staking is a direct reflection of yourself, every single thing. And even if it's not, even if it, you know, you have an employee that that's not doing what, what you told them to do, or that's not completing the task given, you know, in a certain time frame, whatever the case may be, every single thing that you feel like may be out of your, your control, you need to reprogram your mindset to know that, Hey, like every single thing that goes on in my business is a direct reflection of me. And if I take ownership of every single thing that goes on in my business, then I have complete control, creative control to be able to fix that problem. Whereas if I'm not taking ownership, if I'm saying, well, this person didn't do this, or I'm waiting on this person, or this is going on, well, then you have no control over the outcome of that situation. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I mentioned The Millionaire Next Door. I highly recommend that one. It's a it's an important one. Other ones that I would recommend if you're interested in rental properties are From Zero to 130 Properties in 3.5 Years is a very good one. Rich Dad Poor Dad is a classic. It was one of the first ones I read, so that one's great. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, also a classic. Stumbling into Happiness, The Power of Habit. Yeah, I would start with those. I love it. I love it. And all of those will be in the show notes, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, so please check that out. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. I like Wonderlist. Uh, I use that as a parking lot. It's technically supposed to be a task management device, but I actually use it as a parking lot for ideas. So I'll create different categories of ideas. And then whenever I have an idea for a way that I can improve something, I'll stick it in there. And that way I can focus on what is most urgent and most important because those things are always at the top of mind anyway. And then go into this parking lot of ideas when you know it's time for me to iterate on the next thing. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? The ability to have complete flexibility and freedom over my, both my time and my location. So, you know, how I spend every day and where I spend every day is completely up to me. I don't have to be in, as long as I have internet, I don't have to be in any particular location. And I am in complete control over my schedule. 
and I make really good money. So I kind of, you know, feel like I've got, I've, I've got it all. I've got money, I've got time, and I've got freedom. When and where is your next trip? I'm going to Los Angeles in about a week, and then I'm going to Denver and Winter Park in about two weeks. So this is, you've actually caught me on, I'm gone for about between 40 to 50% of the time. So this is one of the last weeks in January. Uh, We're recording this in January. uh, And this is one of the last weeks in the month of which we are recording this interview that I'm going to be home. I'm going to be gone for the next two weeks. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Living as cheaply as possible to an extent that most people would find very uncomfortable. The no pain, no gain really does apply. Like you don't need to live like a college freshman forever, but if you are willing to live like a college freshman for just a few years while simultaneously pouring all of your effort into a business that you're running that can pay you six figures, uh, that's how you increase the gap between what you earn and what you spend. And I know there are people listening to this who think, oh, well, that's really nice if you can earn six figures. But remember, I didn't have some fairy godmother who tapped me with a magic wand and like blessed me with some income, right? Like I started out making $21,000 a year and then I poured everything into running my own business uh, because I think one of the best life hacks is to run your own business. So I just poured everything into running my own business until I escalated my income while simultaneously still living like a college student. Yeah, Paul, I should probably save this after the next last two questions, but I just want to say that you're kicking butt. You are simply amazing. Like seriously, this is awesome. Thank you. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? It's hard to narrow it down to just one person, but my first big break came from the managing editor at... So when I worked from 2005 to 2008, I worked at a newspaper. And the managing editor of that newspaper, the Bronson Hilliard, the guy who hired me, he gave me a chance. I didn't have a journalism degree. He didn't have to hire me. You know, he could have hired somebody with an actual J school degree, but uh, he took a chance on me and he hired me. And that was my first big break because it, it was because I worked at a newspaper that I then learned the skills that allowed me to become a freelance writer. So, you know, if that hadn't happened, if that newspaper, that managing editor at that newspaper hadn't hired me, who knows if I would have become a writer. And if I didn't become a writer, I might not have become a blogger or a podcaster. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think a lot of people are not. Here's my question to people who are listening. What do you do on Friday night? And if you're not satisfied with your current net worth, with your current income, with your current level of investments, and yet you're going out on Friday night instead of hustling, there's your answer. Mm, yeah, we're going to leave it at that, Paula. No, nothing else. Don't say anything else. That's it. We're going to leave it at that. Just <laughs> like, just I want you guys to stew on that because that is that is gold right there. So, Paula, if the listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn a little bit more about you, if they want to find out about some of the things that you have going on, where can they find some of this information? It's on the Afford Anything podcast. So just search your podcast app for the words afford anything. And when it comes up, hit the subscribe button. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Paula, this has been a spectacular interview. I'm so happy that uh, you were able to shed some light into into the lifestyle that you live and kind of give the listeners some inspiration and some nuggets to kind of help them achieve their lifestyle design goals. So thank you so much for the value that you provided. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Hey, just a quick reminder, I am hosting a webinar tonight and I am also hosting a webinar April 2nd of 2019. Look, head over to beforethemans.com forward slash webinar. If you are looking to change your life, if you are looking to build a real estate system that is going to allow you to make passive income, that's going to allow you to travel, leave the rat race, quit your job, do whatever it is that you've been called to do in this world. Real estate is the vehicle that can help you get there. I have a system, a proven system that is going to help you get there in two or three years. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar and attend my live, live webinar tonight. Again, beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar.